Thomas Munzer traveled a circuitous route, arguably the most radical of all the reformers of the 16th century. Starting out in Wittenberg as a student, he was thrown out of town after town as the leadership learned who he was and what he was teaching. Still, it would be a mistake to characterize Munzer as unsuccessful. Wherever he went, he would find himself in high demand, with crowds gathering from miles around to hear him preach. Everything came to a head between the fall of 1524 and the spring of 1525 as Munzer's teachings took hold and the peasantry came to believe they were on the verge of new Christian order. In this new order, the peasants would be the leadership and the princes would be destroyed by God himself. I'm Mike Eagley. And I'm Evan Gertner. And this is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to a discussion on the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all of a nice cold beer. Well, uh, so we've we've been talking a lot about Munzer. I think this a is... A lot about peasants, a lot of a revolt. A lot of it is the revolutionary time of 1524 and 1525, uh, where 1519, 1520, 1521, we have the theological revolution that happens as the 95 Theses start to influence the shaping of theology, and now that then ripples into the revolution of the political state. So, uh, back in episode 33, we covered the activities of Thomas Munzer from the return of Luther in the spring of 1522 to his banishment from Allstadt in 1524. Yeah, Luther was returning from being in the Warburg Castle to now arriving in Wittenberg um, after his kind of self-imposed exile, which everyone thought was for his safety. But while he was away, uh, Zwickau prophets and, and confusion and Karlstadt, a bunch of weird things happened inside Wittenberg, so he... Luther returns in the spring of 1522, and, and now uh, Munzer kind of moves through that time period to the point where he's finally banished from Allstead in 1524. So now let's go to some we'll, review. Yeah, we'll review Munzer. Uh, so Munzer was originally a student of Luther's in Wittenberg. Uh, Luther even gave Munzer a referral to get his first pastoral position in Zwickau. While in Zwickau, Munzer started to develop some very unusual beliefs. He believed that God continued to speak through prophets like Nicholas Storch, who would then provide new teachings, not just interpretations on the Bible, but new teachings in addition to the Bible. And he believed those teachings were actually more authoritative than the teachings found in the Bible. Yeah, the, the spirit is enlivened through this preaching rather than the dead letters of the page. He also began to question infant baptism. And now, there are several scholars who say Munzer and the Zwickau prophets were the first Anabaptists. And Anabaptists was a movement of those who baptize again. Uh, a believer's baptism, a devotion to the Spirit, and uh, modern-day Mennonites and the Amish are the forerunners of the Anabaptists. And then there's some connection to the Baptist movement of America, but largely Anabaptists are related to Mennonites and Amish. Yeah, most I think most scholars would say they're not really related. Uh, Munzer, to Munzer. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, certainly the Anabaptists or anybody in the Baptist movement would distance themselves from Munzer. There's such differences there. I think the beginning point is the Holy Spirit is at work through people giving new teachings and revelation for laity is Thomas Munzer's kind of connection to the Anabaptists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you go on to his whole theocracy and control of the state. And, well, finally, Munzer begins to preach that the end of the world is fast approaching 
and that this new era of prophecy is one of the signs of the end of the world. So when the when the Munzer and the Zwickau prophets showed up in Wittenberg in early 1522, there was a lot of excitement about their teachings. Uh, even Melanchthon and Karlstadt were impressed by the prophets. Uh, Luther and Frederick the Wise, well, they were a little less enthralled. They they, they didn't like the lack of order. They didn't. Uh, uh, Frederick the Wise certainly didn't like the lack of. Yeah, he, Frederick. Yeah, people preaching who aren't called to preach. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Luther was concerned because they didn't seem to show any biblical signs that people demonstrate after they have a meeting with God. And we had an episode where we kind of walk through what Luther expects when you meet God and how to verify if God is in fact at work through you, equipping you to preach something. And Luther said they don't pass the test. Right. And so when Luther, like we mentioned earlier, when Luther came back in March of 1522, uh, he pretty much threw them out of town. Now, exactly how that happened, who knows, but... They're not welcome back in Wittenberg, that's clear. Effectively, that's what happened. Now, we don't know what happened to the Zwickau prophets, but Thomas Munzer ends up in Prague posing as a Lutheran teacher. And he had gone to Wittenberg. He had received Luther's recommendation to be a preacher in Zwickau, but that recommendation wasn't valid anymore, and it certainly was only valid for Zwickau, uh, not for anywhere else uh, Munzer would have gone. Now, while Munzer was in Prague, he wrote a manifesto outlining his beliefs during that time. And then he restates his belief in direct revelation by the Holy Spirit, independent of the Bible. He claims that he is just the first recipient of the Holy Spirit and that there will be many more. Ooh, that uh, sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be possible. It will be possible to know who has the Holy Spirit because they will become modern day prophets. That's what he's saying, basically. Um, and Hard also, to verify, though. Really tough to verify. Really tough to verify. Especially if it's something in, in addition to Scripture and not just communicating Scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also proclaimed that all priests and monks are actually evil, since they did not achieve their position through this direct indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is the modern-day prophet that he's looking for. So the Bohemian leadership in Prague throws them out of town. They they within get, six months. Yeah, I mean, pretty quick they, they get a it's flavor. It's like a, a rocket that goes up in the sky and then falls. <laughs> yeah, they get a pretty good flavor of what he's up to, and they say, uh, you know, not for us, and they 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 pretty much run him out of town. Um, the, he finds landing in Allstadt. He becomes a parish preacher there. It's a small village of about six hundred people. Now, while he's in Allstadt, he gains quite a reputation as a fiery preacher. Uh, people came from miles around, thousands of people from neighboring villages. Uh, the local, and that was mostly because of the German, he was the first to do the mass in German. Or Doing the mass in German, and he's preaching a message that's empowering to the laity. Yeah. And is letting them know that they no longer need the church to know what God is doing in this world. They just need to find and discover the Holy Spirit working through them. Yeah. So... So the, the the princes, the local princes, are getting concerned about Munzer's teachings, and they're trying to keep people from attending Munzer's church. Uh, Luther is concerned. He's saying, you know, uh, we need to check the validity of Munzer's teachings. That's the first thing. He tries to get Munzer to come to Wittenberg to be quizzed or mm-hmm. to be investigated on, okay, what what is it, and is it biblical? Yeah. And Munzer refuses to go. He's not willing to be tested because Luther's just an example of that old hierarchy that's trying to silence what the Spirit's doing. And then, like the the the, you have the leadership of the area, which was uh, Mansfeld. 
Um, in Eisleben, yeah. Yeah. And, and Munster even threatened the Count, saying, Don't grab or the old coat may tear, and I will deal with you a thousand times more drastically than Luther did with the Pope. And then we had the Bund that was set up uh, to implement Munster's theology. The Bund is uh, like a league, an order, kind of an Elks club or a Rotary club, but then they become a, a rebellious group as well. In 1524, uh, they burned down a chapel claiming it was a house of idolatry since there was talk of miracles happening there. So now Duke John tries to bring the arsonists to that, that, that there's that dog again. So Elfie is joining us again in this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Duke John uh, tried to bring just, uh, justice, uh, the arsonists to justice, but he didn't get very far since the town council agreed with Munzer. So no justice could be arrived by Duke John because the town council wasn't agreeing with the uh, due process. Right, right. And so, you know, eventually, though, uh, Duke John does get rid of Munzer. And he leaves Allstedt. And he leaves Allstedt and ends up in Mulhausen, about 50 miles, 80 kilometers from Allstadt. Finally, that brings you all back up to speed on Munzer's journey from Zwickau to Mulhausen. And you can get some more details on Thomas Munzer in episode 32. Yeah, there's a little thumbnail sketch. So... So here we are, Munzer's now in Mulhausen, and he meets up with this guy, Henry Pfeiffer. Now, Pfeiffer, An apostate monk, meaning he was a monk, and then he turned away from the faith of his monastery? I, you know, I, I don't know. Okay. I, I, uh, the, I saw him referenced as an apostate monk. The word apostate some, means someone who has turned away from the truth. Okay. Right? Uh, so, uh, uh, the... The post there is sent, an apostate is someone that's no longer sent. Okay. So a monk that's no longer being sent out uh, and yet uh, still teaching. He has made himself the pastor of the local St. Mary's Church, uh, and he has similar thoughts on the Holy Spirit bringing about a new revelation into this time and the arrival of the end of the world. So Pfeiffer isn't having the same success with his teachings as, as Munzer, though. Uh, there were only some friends and relatives who were supporting him, uh, but he was able to generate a little bit of unrest. And I'm violence. almost cheerleading for him. I feel bad that he's not as successful as Munzer. He only has his friends and relatives. Only the ones who have to be there are showing up. But oh, good, he has been able to generate some violence and unrest. <laughs> he's not all lonely in the corner. It's like, you know you're in an upside-down world when you know, the success is, is judged by how much violence and unrest you, you're, you're generating. So these guys... <laughs> so Pfeiffer had the town council uh, banish him, uh, and uh, some influential citizens had pressured the council to change the city's constitution to allow unlimited freedom of speech to the preacher. So there's kind of this thought that Pfeiffer had been banned because he was supporting violence, but now you've got some in the city that want to change the constitution that allows the preacher to preach whatever he wants. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's sort of, I, I don't know what they were thinking, um, except... The danger the, of the freedom of speech is you then invite speech. <laughs> yeah, I, I, all I can think of is that they had the same ideas we do about freedom of speech, was, uh, hey, let them have their say, and if there's somebody who has a better say, then... But this is going to end up to be uh, very catastrophic for the city. And with the new constitution, Pfeiffer is allowed to return just in time for Munzer's arrival in August of 1524. So you had Mulhausen kicked out 
Uh, I mean, you had Pfeiffer kicked out of Mulhausen. He's returning back to Mulhausen. You have Munzer kicked out of Alstad, and he's arriving in Mulhausen. So you've got an algebra question here. You've got Munzer and Pfeiffer arriving both at the time back to Mulhausen. How much explosion will happen? <laughs> yeah, this is calculus. <laughs> We're getting into. Yeah, this is. It's, things are going to blow up real quick. So, um, even though Luther continued to fight against Munzer and Duke John was threatening him, Munzer still called for radical transformation of the community in and uh, uh, the city ruled by the elective God. So. so you know, this is a spot where I wonder, why does the city of Mulhausen change their constitution and really invite and welcome these two revolutionaries? And I think some of it comes to the fact that Munzer and Pfeiffer both are telling these people, you are special. You are the forerunners who are bringing about the end of the world by receiving the spirit and becoming the elect of God. Here is a town that's not a big town. It's not an important town. But now you've got two preachers who have told these people, you are special. Mm. God is working through you. Well, that's so, an exciting thing to hear. That is, especially back in uh, the 16th century. I mean, I think, yeah, God's supposed to work in Rome. He's supposed to work in Jerusalem. And here you got Munzer telling him he's working here yeah. through you. In you. In you. Yeah. Doing something new that has never been done before. Yeah. Nobody since, you know, St. Paul has had this kind of insight that you, you have. So... Uh, so things come to a head on September 19th when uh, the mayor arrests a man for slander at a wedding. And so there's some questions about the arrest. So the town council d- demanded a hearing and the mayor suddenly leaves town. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So. Now, Munster and Pfeiffer use the occasion to organize a demonstration against the corruption of the state. And over 200 citizens marched through the town, eventually demanding a theocracy. Now, a theocracy is a type of government that is ruled, supposedly, in the laws of God. So, Munzer makes his call for a theocracy clear. He writes a letter to the community. And several folks got real fired up about it. (laughs) Literally fired up. They ended up torching... Uh, a, a, a small village just outside of town. I mean, that seems like the first thing I would do when I'm told that we're going to start a new government that's designed on the laws of God. Let's go burn down a village. <laughs> Let's go burn something down. So the town council somehow got control of the situation and the followers of Munzer and Pfeiffer dispersed. Uh, now, so, so it seems like things are calm. Yeah. And for seven weeks, they're relatively calm with the dispersal of people. But then, after only seven weeks, Munzer then gets banned from the city of Mulhausen, and he sets out for Switzerland. So I think this is a good time for a, for a beer break. Our beer today is called Blood Orange Honey. Uh, this is from the Sheboygan Brewing Company, and the, the Sheboygan Brewing Company is... Uh, it's an old one. Uh, well, sort of. I mean, it, the their, their website, the, the Sheboygan Brewing Company goes back to 1872. Older than me. Older, older than me. And, uh, and, uh, and that's really not saying something. <laughs> that's really saying something. Uh, they went out of business though. There's a, you know, the, the started in 1872 by the Herschel brothers from Prussia and so forth. They, they go on, but they go out of business in 1911 and, uh, and then everything sort of closes down and the, but then it's a bad day for a lot of people when the Sheboygan, Sheboygan Brewing and Malting Company closed down. Yeah. Uh, but a hundred years later, they, they sort of had a reboot. 
and they're they're sort of trying to grab hold of that. I wonder that, how they got a hold of the name to be able to have the legitimacy of calling themselves the same. Yeah, I, I you know I think they just sort of I mean probably you just adopted it. Yeah, again. I think yeah. you know who's who's going to defend it. And so, uh, so the blood orange honey is a good beer. It's a, their top seller. It has a, they say it has its own corner of the brewery. With two dedicated uh, thirty barrel bright tanks, um, they get, they mentioned in the I found an article where they talked that they have six hundred cases going out every two weeks. Um, the uh, now the blood honey blood orange honey uh, they they say it's a unique twist on a great American style wheat beer with the addition of fresh local wildflower honey mixed with blood orange zest and blood orange puree. The result is a medium-bodied beer that is very smooth with a residual sweetness and creaminess from the honey and an exhilarating nose of citrus from the orange. So it kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, what is that? Is it Blue, Blue Moon? Mm. Kind of that, that wheat beer. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's uh, but it's got more of a cream flavor to it. Yeah, I'll tell you, when I first... I could only buy this in a, a four-pack. And the first one I had, I didn't like. My budget, by the way, appreciates that you're the one that buys all the beer. <laughs> so we have, yeah, the, I, I don't mind buying it. I, I, I appreciate it. I enjoy, I, I end up every so often with a few extra beers. This was a, this was a time when I did have extra beer. So the um, four pack? I had a, only available in a four pack. Uh, I drank the other three over the course. I bought this. I because we shared just one for the beer breaks. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I drank the uh, the other three over the course of a few months. And uh, the first one I had, I didn't like. I honestly didn't like it. I didn't like the. Now I drank it in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. and this is a light beer. This is yeah. a summertime beer. Uh, and and so now that it's getting warmer outside, I uh, I think it's. I'm actually enjoying it more. So this is this is the, it's it's really a good beer, mm-hmm. but it is a summertime beer. It's yeah, got that sort it's of, a little bit of a simpler beer in flavor than the M forty three that we featured. Oh, much in the much episode. simpler, much uh, simpler. A, yeah. a complexity of flavors in the M forty three. This has kind of a simple cream, honey, um, orange zest flavor to it with uh, a beer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it took me a little while to get used to that orange flavor. Yeah. It's got a tang to it. Yeah, mm. but I, you know, this is like I said, it's a good a summer beer. Really so, Blood Orange Honey by the Sheboygan Brewing Company. Okay, let's get back into it. Uh, really, there's not much known about Munzer's activities while he set out for Switzerland. But he returned to Mulhausen in February of 1525. Now, Pfeiffer had prepared the way. Pfeiffer had returned to Mulhausen in December and had led the city to drive out the Catholics there. So his work to remove the Catholics gave Pfeiffer enough clout so he could bring back Munzer as pastor of St. Mary's Church. Uh, Within a month, Munzer and Pfeiffer were able to convince the town council to form a militia to defend the city in case of an attack by Duke George, the arch-Catholic Duke from Leipzig. So Pfeiffer and Munzer essentially let the people know that you are just fine, it's the institution that's attacking you, and we need to rise up yeah. and defend ourselves. Yeah. This does the... I mean, this is the trope of the persecuted people that need to now rise up and defend themselves, but in fact their leaders are proposing rebellion yeah. instead of self-defense. Right, right. And, you know, concurrently to all of this, uh, the Schwabian peasants had begun to revolt, demanding some basic rights. We covered their... their the 12, Twelve articles, articles and their demands, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Luther, uh, of course, is 
you know, like we said in the last, I think two episodes ago. Or he's three, applauding their efforts. He's criticizing the princes. But even with Luther's support, the princes were not negotiating with the peasants. And then the peasants become violent. And then Luther turns against them and says to stab, smite, and slay them. And if you die doing it, great for you. Uh, the absence of due process is there. Yeah. Now, Munzer saw things differently. So he was convinced that this was the final struggle before the end of the world. Uh, Munzer believed that he was on God's side, or that God was on his side. Uh, quoted Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel. He's very uh, apocalyptic end of the world text. Yeah. That he thinks he is ushering in the fulfillment of these texts. You know, and I have to say, I get a little nervous whenever I hear preachers really relying a lot on those apocalyptic writings. You know, I, 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 I just the uh, maybe it's wrong of me, but that that sort of. Yeah. I think the big danger is when those when we try to draw uh, a relationship between a modern event to something that's being described in the Book of Daniel or the Book of Ezekiel about the end of the world. Um, and assume that somehow over the last 2,000 years, no one has been ready to interpret the events that we have, but now we see something that no one else has seen, and the end of the world is coming, and we think we can map the path to the finish line. You know, one of the things that, going through this podcast and, and reading about this particular era of the early 16th century, there is no doubt in my mind that Luther had more right to believe that that was the end of the world than I do during this time. You know, things were really bad <laughs> you know, for a lot of people. You had the Black Plague coming through. You had, I mean, things were really, really bad. Things are great right now, comparatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it sort of calibrates me to get an understanding of this period. And they thought the end own. of the world was coming in and didn't come And then. it never came then, you know. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, so Munzer and Pfeiffer moved to Langensalza, uh, hoping to unite Mulhausen's group with other revolutionaries. Uh, so as we said, the, you got these these revolutionaries popping up all over the place. But now the peasants from Mulhausen largely stay home. They sent a letter to the people of Langensalza warning them of false preachers. There's been really a roller coaster of how Mulhausen as a city has been receiving Pfeiffer and Munzer. They, they essentially kick them out, receive them, kick them out, receive them, kick them out. And now Pfeiffer and Munzer think they have the whole town with them. And they go to Langensalsa. And instead of the people following them to Langensalsa, the people send a letter saying, watch out, these two guys are false. Yeah, and you sort of get this idea that you know, like you mentioned, the, the people of, of Mulhausen are not of one mind here. I think they just wanted to defend themselves. And when they brought Pfeiffer and Munzer back, it was with this idea that we're under attack and we need you to support us. But now that Pfeiffer and Munzer are taking the attack outside of Mulhausen, now the legitimacy of self-defense is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when Munzer and, and Pfeiffer couldn't get the people of Logansalza to, to support them, uh, they ordered their troops to plunder a local monastery and distributed the spoils to other rebels. So they make it out to it be an economic revolution now. And now it's not about the end of the world as much as let's redistribute the wealth. So, you know, Munzer did have some successes, though. Uh, and, and by May, some princes had joined his cause, include, uh, like uh, Count Gunther of Schwarzburg. Uh, and the rebel army was growing. It was reported to Fe Frederick the Wise that a group of 15,000 rebels had gathered near Mulhausen and that there were 60,000 rebel fighters in Thuringia. 
Now, Thuringia is where the Swabian peasants were coming from. And now, so you've got this final phase of the peasants' war begun by Munzer as he's leading his troops from Mohausen to Frankenhausen, which is about halfway between Mohausen and Alstedt, which were about 50 miles apart. So they're moving 25 miles. Right, right. And they create this flag that looks like a rainbow. And so they're moving 25 miles uh, from Mohausen to Frankenhausen. They've got a rainbow flag. And and why do they have the rainbow flag? I have a feeling it's different for why the rainbow flag might be flying in parades today. <laughs> the, the rainbow was meant to be a symbol of God's divine covenant. So God has made a divine covenant with the people and with Moha, with uh, with Munzer. Not just generic the people, but with this people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Pfeiffer stays behind in Mulhausen. And from, why do you think he stays behind? That's actually a good question. I don't know. We, we notice as later they're going to kind of both try to avoid arrest. I, I wonder if Pfeiffer has some doubts. I, I think he might. I think he might. Things are getting sort of dicey, and you know, and and Munzer getting is, real. Yeah, and and maybe Pfeiffer, maybe Pfeiffer really was into the whole idea of of defense. And now Munzer is going out and taking the offensive, and and Pfeiffer is not really on board with that. Or, I, or maybe it could be that moment of jealousy that, you know, Pfeiffer earlier could only get his friends and relatives to show up at his preaching engagements. And now Munzer gets thousands and thousands of people to follow him. And maybe Pfeiffer just doesn't like the fact that people are following Munzer and not him. Could be. Either way, Pfeiffer stays behind in Mohausen. Now... In Frankenhausen... Uh, Munzer writes to his enemies, mostly the counts of counts of Mansfield, who drove him out of Alstedt, uh, back in Thuringia, and he's going to threaten those guys in Alstedt. And he he claims that his victory was predicted in Mary's Magnificat, like we said said earlier, uh, when she proclaimed that God was with the poor and the oppressed. Now Munzer preaches his last sermon, some foreshadowing right there, uh, to, designed to fire up his followers, and he says. God the Almighty wants to purify the world now. He has taken power from the government and has given it to the subjects. The princes in their weakness will beg for mercy. So on May 15th, 1525, the rebels took up a defensive position on a hill known as House Mountain outside of Frankenhausen. And the princes, they made an offer. If you hand over the false prophet, Thomas Munzer alive, as well as his followers. And if you surrender unconditionally, we shall treat you accordingly and show your mercy appropriate to the circumstances. This offer by the princes comes at a time when the rebels have the position of height. And now, so they are going to refuse this acceptance of mercy. They're, they're not going to resign themselves. They're not going to give up because they think they hold a position of strength up there on House Mountain. But the princes, well, they're organized. Uh, they didn't just come in a, a parade under a rainbow flag. They came with trained mercenary soldiers. Yeah. So when the princes' mercenaries attacked, the peasants panicked. Even though they had the position of height, yeah, they, they, they panic. And, and they were routed in what was eventually called the Massacre of Frankenhausen. Uh, estimated losses. Of, it is a massacre, isn't it? Oh yeah, three thousand to ten thousand peasants were killed or wounded, while the prince's army suffered a loss of four mercenaries killed and two mercenaries wounded. Four mercenaries killed versus ten thousand killed. Yeah. Now Thomas Munzer, he runs from the battlefield. He's captured, though, still while 
even there hiding in Frankenhausen, and Munzer is interrogated and tortured. The Count of Mansfeld published a recantation that apparently Thomas Munzer is supposed to have written. Now, there's questions about that recantation, uh, especially since it was authored by uh, Munzer's torturers. Philip of Hesse, uh, who was a 20-year-old leader of the princes at that time, uh, reported that he was impressed by the way Munzer carried himself. So at least, you know, in some quarters, there's doubts. Yeah. Uh, I think Philip of Hesse is like a professional appreciation for Thomas Munzer as a leader and someone that was able to bring 15,000 peasants to a battlefield. Well, I I guess my interpretation of that was that Munzer... wasn't begging for mercy he wasn't begging he wasn't begging and pleading he he my guess is that he sort of took his medicine you know so why would he recant yeah uh so so don't put too much weight into that recantation that's that was my interpretation of of uh philip of hess and his thoughts now what is happening to pfeiffer well he's trying to escape mulhausen he wants to get out of town uh, but he was captured uh, even before Munzer was captured, and they were both beheaded a couple of days later on uh, May 27th, 1525. So it's kind of the end of the Peasants' Revolt? Kind of. Yeah, that was, I think Munzer was one of the last leaders of the Peasants' Revolt that was uh, that was was captured and killed. Now, Munzer today, um, sometimes... Uh, seen as a connection to the Anabaptist and the Pentecostal movements. Uh, But his connection today is probably not nearly as much into the sphere of theology as it is into the economics and the politics of the time. Yeah, the the only people I could see who really wanted to take ownership of Munzer were the Marxists. Uh, uh, Found a couple of papers uh, linking Munzer's teachings with the teachings of the communists. Uh, Let's see, the... um, um, you know, I didn't capture it. Oh, yeah. Carl Engels talks about, uh, you know, Engels was uh, with uh, Karl Marx. Karl Engels spoke favorably about Munzer. And in the 1970s, Munzer was featured on East German uh, currency. His picture was there as, okay, you know, we have a history of revolutionaries mm-hmm. and and so the 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 east german government you know the communist government of east right. germany was advocating that oh no we're, we weren't just revolutionaries starting when the when the when the russians took us over after as World a german II. people we've this has always been in our character this has always been in our character and then in 1983 they somehow bring luther into the same kind of vein of of revolution as Thomas Munzer, even though Luther and Munzer were in opposition to each other, because then in 1983, East Germany celebrated Martin Luther's uh, revolution of th- against but, Rome. So yeah, <laughs> they, they just grabbed whatever they could, <laughs> whatever they could. So it's really ironic, uh, considering that the communists were atheists and Munzer believed in a utopian Christian world. He was pushing for a theocracy. It's the exact opposite. But what they both had in common was this idea that the the peasantry should run things mm-hmm. and uh and and so you had this Munzer had the, the theocratic peasantry and and of course the communists had the just the peasantry the, and that, maybe that spark of revolution as well that idea that when you rise people up against injustice there will be this momentum of revolution 
like Lennon thought was going to happen yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to Josh Yeagley, our sound engineer, uh, to everyone that listens to our podcast and provides feedback to us. We appreciate it. Yeah. If you want to uh, look forward to hearing from you, uh, the, uh, but let's recognize our source materials first. We always, uh, James Kittleson is always helpful. Uh, Scott Hendricks, uh, Martin Luther, the man in his vision, uh, Matthias Rydell, uh, Thomas Munzer's Prague Manifesto, a case study in the secularization of the apocalypse. That was actually a really good paper mm-hmm. that I, I really, uh, really enjoyed. And then Eric Krish, Thomas Munzer, A Tragedy of Errors. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, uh, as always, is helpful in, in giving a brief outline, sort of a thumbnail sketch uh, of what's going on there. And we uh, appreciate any feedback you can provide to us, both in person if you meet us on the street, and also graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can catch us at graceontap-podcast.com or on Facebook, uh, Grace on Tap, and put in podcast there. I think that's probably the best way to find us. All right. Any reviews you can post on iTunes is also helpful to help us get the word out. And we are going to be moving past the Peasants' Revolt correct yes i think so we uh uh coming up is uh we're going to be talking a little bit maybe not in the next episode but the episode after that uh i I just finished doing a lot of research on adrian adrian the sixth who was right before all this was elected pope yeah, because as a part of this podcast, we like to look at the history and documents surrounding the Reformation. So we have spent some time on the Zwickau prophets, the Swabian peasants, Thomas Munzer, this peasants' revolt, kind of circling around Luther and the two kingdoms. And now we're going to have a chance to see what's kind of happening also in Luther's context uh, with the Catholics and Adrian VI. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm learning a lot about Adrian. Interesting fellow. So we'll look forward to that one. Uh, until next time. Prost. Prost. Prost.